Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy! So good morning, Christ Fellowship. Today we're going to continue with the series, Dwell. The series, Dwell. And there's a word that we're going to focus on this morning, and that word is obedience. Now, as I say obedience, I'm sure there are a lot of words. Like if I had a scanner, I wish I could see all the, whatever thoughts pop up in your mind. What are the words that you think of when you hear the word obedience? Uh, I'm going to say a few that possibly might be in your mind right now. Words like difficult, because it's difficult to be obedient. Uh, boring. It's boring to be obedient, right? Some of you might be thinking of that. Restrictive, if you feel like you're being restricted. And then to hear the word obedience might make you think that it means someone's trying to control you. Someone's trying to put you in a box. Someone's trying to limit you. Uh, someone's trying to set up rules for you to follow so you can be kept on check. I want to share something that King David actually wrote. You might have heard of him. He's a guy that beat up Goliath. And it's something he wrote about Uh, God's law, God's word, and obedience to God's word and God's law, specifically, um, uh, like I said, being obedient to God. So Psalm uh, chapter 19, verses 7 through 14 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my youth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. King David writes about laws, statutes, precepts, commands, ordinances, all of, all of this as if it's the most beautiful thing in the world. When normally laws and rules and you know, things like that are, are kind of seen as fun killers, like something that's just trying to keep you in a box or limit you. A billion people could write about laws and not one of them write about it the way King David just did, like from what we just read. Now, one of them write it exactly with the passion that he wrote it. Not only is King David's description of God's law far from most people's uh, perception of it, but he attributes God's uh, commands to reviving the soul, giving wisdom, giving joy, giving light, being more precious than gold, sweeter than honey and rewarding. He writes about God's law as if there's, there's something really, really important to get from it, almost as if it's, as if it's something beautiful, and it is. Like he writes about God's law as if it's something beautiful, and it is. He writes about it as if there's a whole lot to benefit from being obedient to God, as if there's beauty in the obedience of God's word, and there is. There's beauty in the obedience of God's word, and my hope is that throughout today's service, we all get a glimpse of how great God is. I hope that's, that's what we get. We all get a glimpse of how great God is. 
And I hope that we all see that it's a privilege to know God and to be able to follow his ways. I'm going to say that again. It's a privilege to know God. It took a special revelation for you to know God. It's a privilege to know God and to be able to follow his ways. And my prayer is that you see that there's beauty in obedience. It's beautiful. Today, we're going to learn from the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is about Moses speaking to the people of Israel. So to give a quick recap, a summary of it, Moses was used by God to lead the people of Israel out of um, slavery in Egypt. If you don't know this story, you can check it out in the book of Exodus, or you can just watch Prince of Egypt. It's actually like really solid. It's good information. They didn't change it too much. And um, it's uh, kid friendly. So you can watch it with your kids. It's actually a great movie. But God's plan was, and by the way, he did a whole lot of like crazy miracles through God, obviously. To top it off, he, he parted the Red Sea. So it's a lot that, that happened there. And God's plan was to lead the people to the land of Canaan. It was a promised land. The problem is, out of disobedience, because of disobedience, God caused them to wait 40 years. They had to wait 40 years for something that should have taken. It was a trip that should have taken just about like maybe a couple weeks. And it took them 40 years. The reason is because of their disobedience. God said no one of that generation, 20 years old or older, was going to go into the promised land. Like if you were 20, like, you know, if I was 19, I would have been so happy. You know what I'm saying? But if you were 20 years old or older, you were not going to go into the promised land. Only two people actually made it in uh, and that were older than 20, uh, Caleb and Joshua. They're the only ones. If you want to find out, you can take a sneak peek. It's in Deuteronomy. The first, I think the first couple of chapters, they repeat it. Um, but everyone else was like, they, they couldn't make it. So they spent all those years, 40 years, essentially just waiting for a whole generation to die out because of their disobedience. All those years just for them, for them to die out. Eventually, they get to the point where God is ready to bring them into the promised land. And then Moses decides, I'm going to talk for 40 days. Like right at that point, listen, we've been waiting for 40 years. You could have been talking to us for 40 years. Now you want to talk to us for 40 days. But this was important because he was speaking to the younger generation. All these people were pretty much younger than 20 when they went through all those miracles. When they, you know, Some of them were born in the desert, basically, right? They didn't even see slavery in Egypt at all, or they were really young. So they needed this refresher. They really did from Moses. And he took 40 days to do it. And these are a few things that he talked about. First, he talked about the exodus, being freed from slavery in Egypt. Then he talked about God's law. Specifically, I mean, all the laws, really, but he talked about the Ten Commandments and all the other laws given to Moses from God. And then he spoke about, he gave God's covenant with the people. It was a renewal of the covenant. And basically, the covenant is saying this, I promise to bless you if you obey me, but I also promise to curse you if you disobey me. I'll bless you if you obey, but you won't get that blessing if you disobey. And then he wraps it all up with a farewell speech. Moses, he does like his little victory lap around and then he does a little speech at the end. Um, actually, there's a lot to it, but uh, it's, it is a farewell kind of before he passes away. So most of Moses' message is about how God wants them to live. That's the chunk of Deuteronomy. And he speaks of obeying God's commands. I'm going to share two uh, scriptures that almost sound identical, um, but I want you to see how important it was. It was repeated so much. So Deuteronomy chapter four, verses one and two. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the guide of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. 
but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. And in chapter 8, something similar. There were plenty of other times where similar words were said. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. That's a really long sentence. I don't know if you know this. It's a really long sentence. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Again, there are many other examples of Moses giving words like this, telling them to heed God's word, to obey God's word, really just pointing out the importance of obedience. God was like really drilling this point through Moses. It's important for you to be obedient. It's a message that God wanted to make very clear to the people of that time. But it's also a message that he wants to make very clear to his people of this time. It's not just the message of the past. It's still a message of the present. It wasn't just a message for the people of Israel before going into the promised land. It's a message for us right now as well. It's a message of the present. God is still telling us today, as he told the Israelites 1,500 years ago, keep my commands, follow my decrees, keep my commands, walk in obedience. He still says that to us today. It's not a thing of the past. Sometimes as Christians, we misunderstand this important truth. We think, oh, I'm under grace, so... Obedience doesn't really matter. Although we, and and, and by the way, most people don't think of that in the forefront of their minds, but in the back of their minds, they might, or at the bottom of their heart, they might. They think Jesus died for my sins, so I can just live as I please. And that's not true at all. Like we still need to honor God by the way that we live. Jesus died for our sins, but that's not an excuse for us to sin freely. That's not the point. Like if you think that you completely miss the point. That's not the point at all. Post-crucifixion and post-resurrection does not mean post-obedience. That's not what it means. If anything, it should demand more obedience because you realize God saved me when I was a sinner. I was his enemy. He died for my sins. I want to honor him by living right because he loved me when I was unlovable. So I should please him by the way that I live. Post-crucifixion, post-resurrection should mean more obedience because I'm doing it out of love now. And I kind of jumped ahead to something I was going to say later. Pretend I didn't say that yet. We're under God's grace. But in the book of Deuteronomy, we learn that the people of Israel were also under God's grace in a different way. Let me explain. See, we're under the best grace. The grace that we have is that through Jesus, our sins are completely forgiven, completely washed away entirely. Not because of anything we did, but 100% because of what Jesus did on the cross. The people of Israel were under God's grace in a different way because they were God's chosen people. The people of Israel were God's chosen people. God selected them to be a mighty nation, to be his example here on earth. That's what they were selected for, through whom he would set, through them he would send Jesus to die for our sins. So they were selected to be a chosen, you know, a special people, and they were chosen by God, not by their own merit but 100% completely by grace. Deuteronomy 7 verses 6 through 8 say this, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. 
But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that it brought you out of Egypt. I'm sorry, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power, power of Pharaoh. You know, these R's are messing with me today. From the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, Moses reminds them that it literally had nothing to do with them. Like, what a reminder. Listen, you're chosen. See, had nothing to do with you. Not at all. None, um, quick detour. I'm, detours are bad. A quick detour. I remember this book by Rick Warren, um, 40 Days of Purpose. The most memorable line is the very first line. Because he's talking about, like, all of our, like, what's our purpose in life. The very first line of the book says, it's not about you. Like, I love it. It's not about you. Like, wake up. This is not, it's not about you. It's about God. That's the same message that Moses is reminding them there. It's not about you. You're chosen by grace. It's not about you. They were, they weren't chosen because they were special. They were special because they were chosen. Jesus died on, died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross because you're special. You're special because he died on the cross for you. There's a, there's a big difference if you don't see it. There's a very big difference. It was simply God's grace. God's faithfulness to, the, to their ancestors is what freed them from slavery and what led them to the inheritance of this promised land. Yet even under this grace, God still expected obedience. Even though they were this chosen people, God still expected obedience. The very next verses in chapter 7 explain this. Verses 9 and 10. No, 9 through 11. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. I love that sentence. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. Like this is who I am. He's the faithful God, the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. We're going to go back to this verse later. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. I try to find a nicer way to say, like there are other verse, um, uh, what do you call them? Uh, uh, versions, yeah. Um, there's another one. Translations, thank you. I tried to find, but I was like, no, I, I want to stick to NIV. That one's hard. Like, it says it. He will not, it, it, but those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees, and laws I give you today. God still expects obedience. He still expects it. And he expects it from us as well. See, our obedience should be a reflection of our salvation in him. That's what it should be. It should be a reflection of our salvation in him. Our obedience should be a reflection of his grace in our lives. That's what it should be. It should be a reflection. The question is, does your life reflect it? Does my life reflect it? I'm in this too. Does my life reflect it? Does your, but you have to ask yourself. Like You don't need to ask me. You need to ask me. Does your life reflect it? Are you living it? Are you following God's decrees? Are you decrees? Are you keeping his commands? Are you walking in obedience? Are you living a life that honors God? If God performed an audit of your life, would you pass? If God performed an audit of your life, would you pass? Like what if he examined your thought life? What if he examined your words? Somebody got scared when I said uh, thought life. I don't know what happened. (laughs) That is scary. Thought life. And by the way, I'm glad I mentioned it. That doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, right? But what are you spending most of your thought life on? Like there are thoughts that come to your mind that, first of all, you didn't even want to be there in the beginning. Sometimes, you know, it comes from out of nowhere. 
What are you meditating on? What are you spending your time thinking about? What if you examine your words? What if you examine your interactions with other people? What if you examine your relationships? What about your work life? What if you examined your behavior when no one is watching? What if you examined your free time? Are you living a life that honors God? Because God expects obedience. It should be a reflection of his grace in your life. That's what it should be. Now, if the answer is yes, like if your life does reflect this, if the answer is yes, there's another interesting question that, that comes to mind. Um, and if it didn't come to your mind, I'm going to put it in your mind right now. The interesting question is, what does God do with your obedience? Like, what does he do with it? Like, does it just vanish and thin air? What does he do with it? And the answer, you know, the book of Deuteronomy gets into detail with this. He talks about it. But I'm going to give you the short answer really fast. And the answer is, God blesses it. God blesses your obedience. It gets blessed. God blesses your obedience. God blesses it in all directions too, which we'll talk about. When you obey the Lord by the way that you live, God blesses your obedience. And now to be blessed by God can refer to many things. I'm going to go with the, the, the difficult one first, the tricky one first, so I can clarify this really fast. So I'm going to say it and then listen to me all the way through. One blessing could be material prosperity. But listen, before you start throwing arrows at me or anything, I want to address this really fast, and, but in detail so you understand it really clearly. God's blessing does not necessarily give you, you know, physical, like abundance of material things. That's not a guarantee. He doesn't guarantee that at all. But it can be that. Like, he could bless you in that way. And if, if you're still kind of against me on this, let me, let me explain it. Many of us here can say that we are blessed in this way. Like, you have to be able to admit that you are blessed in his way if you have more than what you need. If you have more than what you need, you are blessed in his manner. You don't have to be a millionaire to say that you've been blessed, you know, um, like with material things. If you can spend money going to a diner, if you can pay a car note, if you can have a, like a fancy expensive phone, like an iPhone, like you're blessed beyond, by like with more than you actually need. Those are blessings that are material things that you don't necessarily need. It's beyond your need. These physical things are not promised to everyone as a result of obedience to God, but he can definitely use these kind of blessings if he chooses to. For example, the people of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, they get those kind of blessings. He says it. I'm going to bless you with this. I'm going to bless you with that. He's talking about material things. Some of those things are like food, like crops and livestock. And he's also saying, I'm going to bless you and make you a greater nation than the other nations around you. But there's a reason why he does it, though. It's not like, I do want to do it because I want to do it. Think about what he's doing. It's always about his plan. What is he doing? He's trying to build up a mighty nation. These are a chosen people. So he wants them to grow and be prosperous and be a strong and mighty nation. Because through this nation, guess who's coming? Jesus is coming through here. It's not going to be a weak nation. It was weak. It was small. You weren't even a nation. I'm making you a mighty nation for my purpose. So he can do that if he wants to. But it's not the primary blessing that the Bible, Bible refers to in response to our obedience. The primary blessing that the Bible resp- uh, refers to in response to our obedience is spiritual prosperity. That's the main way God blesses us. It's more of what God refers to when he's blessing people. A great example of this is the Beatitudes that Jesus shares on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to shorthand it. I'll just read it myself. But if you want to take a look at it, Matthew chapter five, it's there. And it says, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. They'll receive the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Those who thir- blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in spirit. Sorry, pure in heart. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, these are all spiritual blessings given to those who obey the Lord. These are all spiritual blessings. And the blessings seem counterintuitive to the world. Like they seem, you know, against what the world would count as blessings. Poverty, mourning, like meekness. None of this sounds like the material things that we talked about in that first list, right? But Jesus had a way of turning things on its head. That's what he did. He turned everything on its head. Like he turned death into life, right? He turned, so he would always turn things in, on its head. The poor in spirit will be rich in heaven. The, the, those that mourn will find a comfort that ends in joy. The meek and humble will be given power and authority. He was turning everything on his head. And the blessings God talks about here are inner blessings. These are blessings that have eternal value. They have eternal value. Spiritual salvation. Being in God's presence for eternity. Like being saved from the consequence of your sin. Being saved from eternal separation from God. Listen, people talk about life feeling like hell. We don't know what we're talking about. Because hell is completely separate from God. Like it's being completely separated from the God that made you. That's hell. This isn't hell because God is here. We, see, we have a lot of things that might look really bad, but we don't know bad until we're completely separate from God. You don't know that. Being saved from eternal separation from God, that's another blessing that we, that we receive. These blessings have present value too. It's not just for, for you know, in eternity. It's also present values as well. Inner blessings are spiritual understanding and wisdom. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I'll say it again. Fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So what does God do with your obedience? He blesses. He blesses. And God blesses, like I said before, in all directions. He blesses you. He blesses people directly connected to you. And he blesses people in your sphere of influence, in your circle of influence. He blesses you. He blesses those that are directly connected to you. And he blesses people in your sphere of influence. And I'm going to read some scripture from Deuteronomy that talk about this. The first one is this. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You know what? Sorry. Let me take a quick break because I'm going to read a few scriptures here. Okay. Sorry about that. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. See, this was written specifically to the people of Israel, of course, right? It was uh, written to them as a nation. But it's still an example of you receiving blessings from your own obedience. Like it's still you reaping rewards of your own obedience. When we obey God, we enjoy the benefit of avoiding the consequences of sin. 
when, you know, when we obey God, we enjoy the direction that God takes us in life, which is always far better than which, whatever direction we're taking ourselves. When we're obedient, well, obedience blesses our lives directly. And that's not all. It's not just a direct you know, influence on your own life or a blessing to your own life. But Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, which we read earlier, is another one here. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. I can speak of this one personally because in my family, I'm actually the third generation Christian. I'm a part of the third generation of Christians in my family. My, I have adult nephews and nieces that are serving the Lord, and they're a part of that fourth generation of Christians in our family. My children are growing up to know the Lord. And I heard something from Elder Felix Boa that always stayed in my heart. And it's actually my prayer now. And this is my prayer that my children grow up to fear the Lord, love the Lord, and serve the Lord. So, Mr. Felix Boa, I took that from you. But he took it from Deuteronomy, actually. The crazy, though, it's actually in Deuteronomy. Fear the Lord, love the Lord, serve the Lord. That's the prayer that I make for my children every day. And I, you know, and I said that already. And I took it from him. I know that each family member in my family, obviously, individually has had to decide to commit to Christ. I had to make that decision individually. Everyone else in my family that serves the Lord had to make that decision individually. I know that for sure. I know that. But I also know that our family is reaping the benefit of generational blessings that started way back, you know, way before me, generations ago. I know that my family is reaping generational blessings that come down from faithful people before us. In my family, these generational blessings started with my paternal grandmother, my my father's mom, Abuela Felicia. It started with her. This was a woman that uh, she actually passed away in 2019. She lived a long life. She's 94 years old, almost 95. She just missed it, but she was 94. She was definitely blessed in that sense. But she suffered a whole lot, a lot in life. Like, she really did suffer a lot. She was orphaned at a very young age. Like, both of her parents passed away. And, um, like, she grew up in Cuba and, you know, obviously poverty, poverty stricken. And uh, neighbors actually took her in, which is great, but they took her in as a servant. So she just served, you know, that family. That's what she did. They took her in, but she was a servant. She was raised that way. Now, there was another neighbor that on a weekly basis would have Christians come to their house. And my grandmother at a young age, maybe around 11 or 12, started attending these, these meetings. And through that uh, church, you know, home group or whatever, uh, that small group that they had at the house, uh, she accepted Christ. She accepted Jesus as a Lord and Savior. And guess what? She never looked back. Like from 11 or 12 years old, she never looked back. That woman stayed with Christ for the rest of her life. She never turned back. This tiny Cuban woman, and I can say she was tiny because I'm not a big guy. I know I'm not a big guy, but she was 4'11 at her best, like when she was at her tallest. The older she got, the shorter she got. I don't know where she ended. Like she might have ended at like even 4'5". I don't know how, but at her best, she was 4'11". This tiny Cuban woman was one of the best models of a disciple of Christ I've ever seen in my entire life. One of the best models, and I had that model in my life. One of the best models. Faithful in prayer, check. Like reading God's word, she learned how to read through God's word. So check. Like spending time in community and fellowship with other believers, check. 
my grandfather, her, her husband, was a really old school, like he was actually much older than her. Oh, he was born before the 1900s. That's pretty crazy, right? He was born, this side note, he was born before the 1900s. It's pretty crazy. So he was super old school. He was very old school, authoritative, like, you know, stern. It has to be my way, all that stuff. And for the most part, that's how their relationship was, except for one thing. One day he tried to tell her, you can't go to church no more. Let me tell you, that four foot 11 woman must have felt like six foot eight because she looked at him and she's like, you can take everything from me, but you won't take this from me. I'm going to church for the rest of my life. You can't stop this from me. And I don't know how that ended, but she kept on going to church for the rest of her life. So he must have just accepted it. I don't get it. But spending time in community and fellowship, that's a double check, right? Two checks for that one. Sharing the gospel, check. My mother and my father, when they first started dating, no one from my mother's side like knew Christ. None of them. My grandmother, from my, Abuela Felicia, brought my other grand, my maternal grandmother, Mima, to Christ. Mima is one of my other, like, best disciples in life, you know, as far as a Christ follower. And it's all because of Abuela Felicia's influence. It's all because of her sharing the gospel. Mima came to the Lord. A poor, orphaned servant girl from Cuba. A poor, orphaned Service girl from Cuba, you know, servant girl from Cuba has left a spiritual legacy on this earth that has lasted for generations beyond in her family. And guess what? It's still going. Like, I know it's going to keep going for more generations. And you know why? Do you know why? It's all because of her obedience to Christ. It's all because of her obedience to Christ. The impact will continue for more generations to come because God honors the obedience of his children. I think we need to hear that. We need to hear that this morning. God honors the obedience of his children. He honors our obedience. The Lord blesses those that fear him, love him, and serve him. He blesses the people directly connected to you. And then One more scripture I'd like to read about this. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. Your obedience will be a blessing to those around you as well. I know it's saying like they'll fear you, but at the same time, like they're seeing the example of God in them. So, I mean, it's good that they fear them, but you get the point. They're being an example for the nations around them. Your obedience will be a blessing to those around you. We'll never fully know the measure of our spiritual influence, you know, on the people that are around us. We'll never fully know, but we'll never fully get. And at the same time, like you never, you don't need to know. Like it's not your business to really know, you know, the intricacies of how God uses your influence in other people's lives. Your job is just to be obedient. But like it happens. It actually happens. There are people that like growing up as a, as a young Christian, I remember were examples for me from afar. They had no idea that they were examples for me because we barely talked. But their example for me was by the way that they lived. Their example was their obedience in the way that they walked, the way that they were with their families, the way that they just walked this life with Christ. Their walk was so important to me in my life. You know, I was blessed by their obedience. And that's still true today, by the way. I still get blessed 
by when I, you know, whenever I see brothers and sisters in Christ right here in Christ fellowship, walking on walk of faithfulness and, and obedience, I still get blessed by that because it's an encouragement for me. And, and guess what? Guess what? You don't know who's watching you. There are people watching you. They're watching your walk of all ages, by the way. Don't, even, don't just think it's people younger than you. You know, but of course, that generation as well. Right. But there are people watching you and they're looking at you and they're saying they might not even verbalize it, actually, to be honest. But in their eye, in their minds, in their spiritual eyes, they're looking at it and they're seeing obedience. They're seeing what obedience looks like. They're seeing it and they're being blessed through your walk. If you ever get weary, understand it's not all about you. The blessing is not just for you. And it's also and it's for you, but it's also for the generations after you. But it's also for the people around you that you might not even be speaking to, but they see you. They see you. They see you in church. They see you at, you know, your neighbors. They see you at work. They see you wherever you are. They're seeing your obedience in the Lord. You're walking the Lord. God uses that to bless them as well. What is God doing with your obedience? He uses it to bless you, your family, and the people around you. But there's a second question we should think about, too. And this second question is, what does your, obe- your obedience say to God? And it says two things loud and clear. Your obedience says, Lord, I trust you. And Lord, I love you. It says, Lord, I trust you. And Lord, I love you. This is a vertical blessing where your obedience blesses your relationship with God. So the first one we were talking about says this, right? In one way, God blesses you, people directly connected to you, and the people around you. But in this way, you bless God. Have you ever even thought you bless God in your obedience? You bless your relationship with God through your obedience. When you obey God, when we obey God, we tell him these words through our actions. Look at everything you say to God when you obey him. I believe you exist. I believe your word is true. I believe your guidance is good for me. I believe you won't hurt me. I believe you have a good plan for my life. I believe you see things in the future that I can't see. See, your obedience demonstrates trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I know we know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. See, this explains that you submit to his ways, trusting that he has it under control, trusting that his ways are better than your ways. He sees things ahead that you can't see. It's an act of trust when we obey. And I believe God is constantly asking us the same question in various situations. And the same question is this, do you trust me? In all the situations in your life, God is asking, do you trust me? You lose your job, do you trust me? You're having challenges with your kids, do you trust me? You know, um, you're dealing with stress and anxiety, do you trust me? You're having, you know, a rough patch in your marriage, God is asking, do you trust me? And when our answer is no, we end up doing things our way. We do it our way, and we know how that goes. We try to find our own solution to the challenges we're facing. They can include lies, cutting corners, cheating, doing things out of anger, frustration, not caring of how our decisions impact the people around us. 
our own solutions give a very clear answer to God. No, God, I don't trust you. I want to be in control. Like, that's clearly what you're saying to God when you're disobedient. No, God, I don't trust you. I want to be in control. I'd rather be in control. But when we're obedient to him, when you choose honesty, integrity, patience, humility, forgiveness, when you choose to obey, your response to God is, yes, I trust you. I want to give you control. It's a big difference there, isn't it? I want to give you control. I trust you. Because your obedience says, Lord, I trust you. And the question is, do you trust him? Are you saying it through your actions? Do you relinquish control to God? It's, it's, it's meant to be an act of surrendering when you do this. Because it's saying, God, your way is better. I trust you more than I trust myself. That's a hard thing to say. I trust you more than I trust myself. Do you trust him? Are you saying it through your actions? And your obedience also says, Lord, I love you. Obedience is the fruit of our love for God. Like it's the fruit of it. Our obedience is born in love. Love comes before it. We don't obey to get something from God. We obey to give something to God. That's where our obedience comes from. It's a giving. We obey to give something to him. We're giving him our love. To love him is to obey him. Jesus says it very clearly in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Really simple. Jesus is saying, if you love me, keep my commands. It's so important. He says it again in verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Listen very clearly. I don't want you to fool yourself because you can't fool God. You can fool other people, but you can't fool God. You can fool yourself too, but you can't fool God. You might tell yourself, I love God. Do you obey his commands? Because if you don't obey his commands, he says it very clearly. You don't love me. If you love me, you obey my commands. If you love me, you follow my ways. If you love me, you live the way I tell you to live. Keeping God's commands is a sign of loyalty and faithfulness. Think about this for a second. In any other relationship, it would be a really hard sell to say, I love you, but not be loyal or faithful to that person. In any other relationship, that would be a really hard sell. I love you, but then nothing that you do matches that. Nothing that you do says you're loyal or faithful. The other person in that relationship will constantly feel hurt and lied to all the time. That's how they would feel all the time because deep down they would know that's not love. If you love me, you're faithful to me. You're loyal. You're, you're dependable. You're reliable. If you're not loyal, if you're not faithful or dependable, if you're not reliable, you don't love me. You just love yourself. You might love the idea of me. You might love the idea of us, but you don't really love me. You just love yourself. It's a big difference. And the same is true with our relationship with God. Do you love God? Then you should be loyal, faithful, dependable, because God can't be mocked. He knows what love is. He is love. You're going to mock him about what love is? He is love. You can't mock him on that. You can't give him a false love and he's going to fall for it. You can't say, I love you with your lips. Because what is he going to do? He's going to perform an audit of your life. And he's going to say, okay, you said that with your lips. Let's see if your life matches up. 
Let's see if you're going to pass this audit. You love me? Okay, let's check your life out. When you walk in obedience, you're telling him, Lord, I love you. If you are doing that, that's exactly what you're telling him. Lord, I love you. By the way, that doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are perfect. Not, not a single person in this room is perfect. Only one man was perfect, is perfect, Jesus. And, and you know what? That's the one that we're modeling. That's the one we're following. You know what I'm saying? But what he's saying is, what he's saying is, show me with your actions. Do you love me? Follow, follow what I'm telling you to do. And this is the beauty of obedience that King David was talking about. It's a beautiful thing because it's not just the act itself, although the act is very important. It's not just the act itself, but what it's what it's I'm sorry, but it's what you're saying through the act. It's the motivation for the act. It's the cause. Our obedience is motivated by trust and love for the Lord. That's what's beautiful. It's where it's born in. It's where it's coming from. Our obedience, even though it's flawed because we mess up all the time, we mess up all the time, but even though it's flawed, our obedience is beautiful because it's saying, God, I trust you. God, I love you. God, I don't have it all figured out. I need you. As a matter of fact, Jesus, please be the king of my heart because I mess up all the time. I need you to be a part of this obedience thing. But I'm trying it because I love you. I'm trying it because I trust you. I'm trying it because I want to show you that I, you know, I, I really care about you too. Because I know you care about me. I saw it on the cross. I'm not trying to earn something. I'm trying to give something. That's what you're saying to the Lord when you live this way. Do you live it? Is that what your life is telling him? Is your life singing to the Lord, I love you, I trust you? Or is it saying, I love the idea of you? Do you want to feel close to God? Do you want to have an intimate relationship with him? Follow his ways. Follow his ways even when you don't understand, even when you don't want to. Follow his ways even when you don't feel like it. Follow his ways even when it's the hard thing to do. Follow his ways even when no one else is doing it. Follow his ways even when no one else is watching. Follow his ways even when it goes against your own plans. Follow his ways even when it hurts. In doing this, you're telling him, I trust you more than I trust myself. I love you more than I love myself. Obedience brings you closer to God. It brings you into his presence. To wrap it up, I have a couple more minutes, but to wrap it up, we spoke about the importance of obeying God, what God does with our obedience, what we're saying to him with our obedience. But it's really important to point this out. As serious as God is about obeying him, he's just as serious as, uh, you know, he's just as serious in when you disobey him. Let me say that again, because I kind of messed it up there. As serious as God is about obeying him, He's just as serious about disobeying him. In other words, God is serious about the consequences of our disobedience as well. That's a very serious thing too. A very ser- I'll give you one example. Let's look at Moses. The Bible says that Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's a pretty nice line to give somebody, right? Like, you know, on profile, like imagine, you know, I'm the most humble man. Well, you wouldn't say it because if you were humble, but someone else says it. It's the most humble man on the face of the earth. That's what the Bible says. God says about Moses. God used Moses to do great miracles while freeing the people of Israel from Egypt. He led the people for 40 years in the desert before getting into the promised land. But do you know something? 
Moses himself was not allowed in. Moses himself was not allowed into the promised land. Why? Because God's serious about his consequences of disobedience too. Moses, when performing a miracle one day in the desert, acted with anger and pride. And in doing that, he was making it seem like it was his own power. He was trying to get credit for the miracle himself instead of giving credit to God because it belonged to God. But he acted in anger and pride. And God turned around and said, you know what? Because of that, you're not going into the promised land. Because of that, you want to be God? Guess what? You're not going into the promised land. This is Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth, who God used to free the very nation that was going to bring Jesus. And he said, you're not going into the promised land. You won't step a foot into it. Because of his sin. And those consequences, you know, that's the same deal for us too, by the way. Those consequences are real for us too. And it's not just you. Those consequences don't just affect you. Guess who else they affect? They affect the generations after you. I don't mean to scare you, but it's real because it scares me. Your disobedience affects the people after you. Your disobedience affects the people around you. The people that are supposed to look at you and see Christ. In disobedience, they don't see Christ. Deuteronomy recaps the Ten Commandments in chapter 5. And many people falsely think that these commandments are outdated, but they're not. We should still live by them. We're not judged by them, you know, as far as eternal salvation. That's completely on, on Christ. But we're still, still supposed to live by them. God still expects obedience. But Jesus says something to wrap this up. He, he sums up those Ten Commandments and all the law in two things. He says it can be summed up by two, two laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for allowing us to know you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, God. We count it as a privilege and an honor to know you. Like, it's, it's a privilege. There's no other way to say it. It's an honor to know you. It's an honor. It's a privilege to be able to live in a way that pleases you. God, your word says it's impossible to please you without faith. Lord, thank you for allowing us to have the faith so we can live in a way that pleases you. My prayer, my king, is that all of us fall in love with your word the way King David was in love with your word, with your laws. Because through that, Lord, we know what it is that pleases you. And help us live accordingly. Lord, perform that audit in all of our hearts. Examine our hearts. Examine our thoughts. Examine our lives. And point out what's wrong. What is it that doesn't please you? What is it that displeases you, my king? Because, Lord, I know my eternal salvation might not be running on it, Lord. But there's a whole lot that is running on it, my king. There's a whole lot. There are a whole lot of people that are, you know, under my influence, around me, Lord, that are looking at my life. And they're waiting for an example of you. And it's the same thing that's true for everyone else that's here, my king. I pray, Lord, that you put this burden in our hearts, a burden of fire in our hearts to please you. But Holy Spirit, I pray you put this fire in our hearts to please you by the way that we live. And I pray, Lord, that it's not motivated with this idea that we're going to earn something, Lord. But I pray it's motivated by this truth that we're giving something. We're giving you our trust 
and we're giving you our love. Please do this work in us, my King. Lord, I pray that we all make you the king of our hearts because we can't be obedient without you. We don't have the capacity. Be the king of our hearts, Lord Jesus. Be the one that runs our hearts and show us how to live. Show us how to please you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.